the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we hear in the Gospel one of the most famous scripture verses that all uh, Christians will quote often. Uh, comes from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Right? This is the, the, one of the most famous. But unfortunately, although it's one of the most famous, and we quote it often, I don't believe as Christians that we believe that in this message. We don't believe that God so loves the world that he has, only give, he has given us his only begotten Son. God loved us so much that he not only proved it on the cross, right? No greater sign of our, God's love for us than on the cross. And we constantly hear in the scripture verses that God loves us. God loves us. He sent his only son. So much that we're told. But although we hear a lot that God loves us, he is loved so little in return. We get the image of the Sacred Heart, so there's a statue here to, to my right, and the statue of the Sacred Heart where Jesus actually exposes his heart. This is a real image that we received in the 1600s, that in the, in the country of France, that Jesus revealed his heart to a saint by the name of St. Margaret Mary of Alacoque. Alacoque is in, in, uh, in, in France. And so think about it. We hear it. 1,600 years had passed by. God so loves the world. God so loves the world. People were familiar reading the scripture verses, John 3, 16. And still, God had to reveal himself and expose his heart 1,600 years later because people still weren't believing it. And what he said from that image, and where we get this image, he exposes his heart. What he says to St. Margaret Mary of Alacoque, he says, Behold this heart which loves so much, yet is so little loved. And he said to her, Do me this kindness, you at the least, of making up for all their ingratitude as far as you can. Basically, he's saying to her, I love so much, but I'm loved so little in return. So you, this single nun in France, please make up for the ingratitude of the world who doesn't show me any type of love. Jesus is making a plea for help. He makes a plea for love. Love me back, please. He said it 400 years ago, and he's saying it to us today. He's begging, love me back. I love you. Love me back. And I'm sure all of us, we think we, we are loving God. We want to love God. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. And we'll talk about that. Since Jesus still has his body, I think that this is, uh, this is important. Since God, since Jesus, who, who, who is God, obviously, who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, since he still has his body in heaven, it means that he still has feelings today. That's very important. Only Mary and Jesus have their bodies in heaven. And since they have their bodies, feelings are a component of the body. And since they still have their bodies, they're not pure spirits in heaven, that means that Jesus today still has feelings. So today, Jesus still wants to be loved. He loves us, and he still wants to be loved in return. And either we love him back or we reject him. Either we console his heart or we say, no, thank you. He, again, he proved his love. He proved his love. Jesus died for Nicodemus. We hear about this guy in the gospel today, Nicodemus. Jesus died for Nicodemus. He loved Nicodemus. Even though Nicodemus didn't know a lot about Jesus, he loved him. And Nicodemus proved his love for Jesus and consoled the heart of Jesus after Jesus died. Right, we hear in today, today's John 
chapter 3. Today we hear that he approaches Jesus in the, in the dark. He comes at night. He's curious about Jesus. There was a miracle that took place in Cana. We heard about that last week in the book of John. Nicodemus is kind of curious about Jesus. He comes to him in chapter 3. I'm just curious about you. I don't know who you are. I'm not saying you're Lord. I'm not saying you're a Savior. I don't even know if I love you. So this is where he starts at chapter 3. In chapter 9 of the book of John, we see Nicodemus over these years. He's growing in his curiosity about Jesus. In chapter 9 of the book of John, he comes to Jesus, and he doesn't come to Jesus, but now the Sanhedrin, which he's a part of this council, has gathered because Jesus has done a miracle. He has, he has, he has healed on the Sabbath. So in chapter 9, what does Nicodemus do? He stands up and he says to the other council members, the other 69, he's one of the 70 council members, one of the part of the head Jews, and he says, why are you doing this to Jesus? He hasn't done anything wrong. He's starting to step up. He's starting to love. And then we see in chapter 19 of the book of John, Nicodemus is one of the people who brings Jesus down from the cross. It says in the Bible that Nicodemus grew in his faith. Starts off chapter 3, I'm just curious about you. I don't know who you are. You're a teacher, I'm a teacher. You're a rabbi, I'm a rabbi. But he has, he shows and proves his love. He consoles the heart of Jesus after Jesus dies. Because Jesus still has feelings and he says, I love you now. I'm not going to come to you at night. I'm not going to be ashamed to step up with people to see who I, who I say you are. So he consoles the heart of Jesus even after Jesus dies. And we have the same opportunity. There are things that we do today that do not console the heart of Jesus. Again, we all want to love Jesus back. He's pleading, love me back. And all of us want to do that. But there are things today that we do where we don't love Jesus back that we don't console his heart. And one, and one of these things that we do is when we commit unforgivable sins. And that might be the first time you've heard that, but there are sins, right? Okay, Father, what are you talking about? How could there be unforgivable sins? Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years. All the sins, Jesus has died for them. How can you say there are unforgivable sins? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 12, Jesus says, therefore I say to you, every sin will be forgiven, but sins against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When we commit sins against the Holy Spirit, which I will talk about what those are, we are not consoling the heart of Jesus. We are not loving Jesus back. We are rejecting the Lord. So what are the unforgivable sins which hurt the heart of Jesus? And those are the sins that we will not allow him to forgive. That's it. That's it. And the Catholic Church teaches us that there are two unforgivable sins. It classifies it in two categories, denial and despair. So when, we're deny, when we fall to the denial of sin, or when we despair in our sins, these are the unforgivable sins that Jesus can't forgive, not because he doesn't want to, but because we tie his hands from forgiving them. And that does not console his heart. So the first unforgivable sin, the first category, denial. Right, when we deny that we have sin or we justify our sins, oh, Father, come on, 2,000 years, Jesus said this commandment, come on, get with the times. When we deny or justify our sins, we're not consoling the heart of Jesus. We're not loving him in return. We're loving him on our terms. Yeah, Jesus, you gave me these commandments, and okay, yeah, 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 that, sure. But I'm going to tell you how I'm going to follow this commandment. And when we do that again, denying or justifying our sins is the unforgivable sin because it ties the hands of Jesus from forgiving them, 
which jeopardizes our confidence in our salvation. I talk to a lot of Catholics and I say, do you think you've been saved? Uh, I'm not sure, Father. Uh, I, I hope. We are saved. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. We have to have confidence that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we should be confident in that salvation. But we're not confident because we deny or justify our sins or we despair in them. But if we don't deny our sins, we stop justifying them. We can be confident. We can be confident. Since God loves us, John 3, 16, he gave us commandments like a good father. When I open up a wedding file for, for new couples, one question in the wedding file is, will you accept children lovingly from God, bring them up according to the laws of Jesus, not your laws, parents, the laws of Jesus and the Catholic Church? And they say, yes. And I say, let me just explain what that means. That God, if God entrusts you with children, you'll bring them up according to his laws versus your own laws. Because God is a father and he would be a reckless bad father if he did not give us his children laws. And I said, you'd be bad parents if you did not give your children laws in the household. If you let your kids do whatever they wanted, you're not going to be good parents is what I tell them. But if you follow the laws of Jesus and you bring those children up in the laws of Jesus, this is how we love God back. God doesn't love how much money we throw in the basket. God doesn't love that we do this and we do that. God loves when we follow the commandments that he has given us. And we don't justify those commandments and we don't deny those commandments that we have since. Again, if we look at our, if we look at our world, our world tells us, what's your truth? I was watching this show the other day on Netflix. Nothing's good on Netflix, so don't take my example. I was watching a show the other day on Netflix, and they just said, basically, the one lady asks another lady, she goes, what's your truth? What's your truth? Because her truth is going to be different than somebody else's truth. What's your truth? God has given us truth. We can't deny that truth of the commandments. But God loves us so much that he didn't just give us the commandments and say, go ahead, interpret these commandments how you want. You get to choose if this is a sin. You get to choose if that's a sin. You get to choose what this commandment means. He gave us a church, and that's the Catholic Church. When we follow those commandments by the authority of the Catholic Church, we can be confident of our salvation. We can be confident that we're consoling the heart of Jesus. We can be confident that we're loving God in return. Because remember, he said to St. Margaret Mary of Alacoque, this is the heart which loves so much, but is being loved so little in return. And if we want to return that love, we follow the commandments, we don't deny the commandments under the authority of the Catholic Church. We stop interpreting the commandment, what I want that commandment to be, so that way I can be comfortable that commandment, we change them so they can live, so they can, they can fit into my lifestyle. No, 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 no. That's not loving the heart of Jesus. That's not loving Jesus in return. We change and we conform to the commandment versus the commandment conforming to me because I'm comfortable. It doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters. If we're serious about consoling the heart of Jesus, if we're serious about loving Jesus in return for what he's done for us, which is our salvation, we change. That's the first unforgivable sin category of denial of sin. 
I don't have a sin. That's not a sin. We don't get to choose. And the second unforgivable sin is despair. So denial is first. The second category is despair. To despair over sins means we have lost all hope. And when we despair, not only do we not console the heart of Jesus, but we tie the hands of Jesus from forgiving us of those sins that we're despairing of. If we've lost hope, because I've done something disgusting in the past, because I've done something that was unbelievable. I am scandalized by my own behavior when I think of that sin. I am despairing. And if I'm despairing, that's considered an unforgivable sin because I tie the hands of Jesus from forgiving me for those sins. I don't console his heart when I despair. So many of us believe, I can fall into this category as well, that God only loves me when I perform well. But we commit sins, again, that we thought we would never commit because we're not perfect. So to despair over, the, and we start to despair over those sins. Again, Jesus didn't die for just some of our sins. He died for every single one of your sins and my sins. And so if there is a sin that I say, God can never forgive me for that. That sin is too big, Father. Father, if you knew my past and you know what I've done and you know what I, what I, all the sins I've committed, that salvation that you talk about, it's a nice idea, it's a cute idea that Jesus died, but it doesn't apply to me because you don't know my past. That's despair, brothers and sisters. That does not console the heart of Jesus. That is not loving Jesus in return because he's like, I died for that sin. I want to forgive you for that sin. Bring that sin to me. Rather than carrying it for years and years with shame and disgust and self-hatred. There's no sin too big that we cannot bring to Jesus. The sin that I think I could never say out loud to another person, especially in confession, is the sin you and I are despairing over. That is the unforgivable sin not because Jesus doesn't want to forgive it, but because, again, I tie his hands from doing it. Often we despair over the fact that we're still stuck in a particular sin after years and years. We despair that nothing will ever change and we will always be in this miserable state. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to go to hell. We're already living a type of hell when we are despairing over our sins. We're walking around on earth, despairing over our sins. We're living in hell. We're so much thinking, when I die, I'm going to go to hell because of the sin that I've committed in the past. You're already experiencing what hell is like. Because what is hell? Hell is an absence of God. When I won't allow God into that sin that I'm despairing about, that I've lost my hope about, I'm experiencing what hell feels like. And God's like, I don't want that for you. Love me in return. Bring that sin to me. Then we console his heart. So brothers and sisters, as we come to the heart of Jesus today, right today we physically cannot receive his, see his heart in, on his body, but we will receive it in the Eucharist. When we receive the Eucharist, we receive Jesus' body, his blood, soul, and divinity, which means we receive his heart. So will we console the heart of Jesus when we stop making excuses, we stop denying our sin, we stop despairing, and we can finally say, I want to love you back. For all the people in the world who don't love you, 
I want to love you. And how do I do that? When I stop denying and when I stop despairing. Amen?